Welcome back, everyone, to the Xamarin Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest and greatest in mobile development for Xamarin developers, covering the world of Xamarin, .NET, Azure, and more. I am Matt Sokup. And I'm James Montemagno. And we, of course, have our special guest with us, David Ornow. How's it going, David? It's going well. Thank you very much. How are you? Great. I don't think you're a special guest anymore. I think you're just official <laughs> third co host, correct? Uh, I, I am, I am, uh, yeah, official third until .NET MAUI launches, and then you have the right or the option to kick me off. There we go. I think we need to update the intro too, Matt, to say in mobile development for .NET developers, including the world of Xamarin, .NET MAUI, Azure, and more, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. We ever should. evolving, ever evolving. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all happening, David. And, uh, we have build on the way, which I saw some of your demo and I'm very, very excited about it. I'm ready to update all the things, but I don't think we can get there yet, but what is going on in the world of .NET MAUI, David? Yeah. So, uh, preview three has shipped and is out there in the public and that added WinUI three project reunion to the mix. So now we have all four platforms there and we've been uh, working hard. The engineering team has been crushing it to deliver preview four. Uh, and Preview 4 will include new templates for MAUI and Blazor Desktop, which mm -hmm. is very exciting. Um, and we were we are introducing splash screen support and raw asset support to single projects. So splash screen, essentially, you can uh, declare your foreground image and your background image or color. And then raw assets, you can include things like what you would normally use an embedded resource for. And the, the cool thing here for both of those is we translate these things to what the native platforms expect, whereas an embedded resource would be something that kind of bloats your cross-platform library and isn't as performant memory efficient. So I'm excited to see those two new things come in. Uh, content page and navigation page with navigation bar are now included in .NET MAUI. So uh, you'll see in the demos for build that I'm able to actually navigate now, which you weren't able to do before. Mm. Uh, on that same note, shell work has begun, but shell is not yet included in preview four. That's going to be a preview five thing. Okay. But uh, it's very close. It's like on the on the cusp. Uh, we have layout updates for the compatibility layouts, flex layout, grid, stack layout. Because in my demos, I used a bunch of flex layouts. And uh, when we ported that to the Maui code, we realized it crashed. So, hey, that's part of that's part of previews. And that's why we do these things. Um, so exciting news. I had to suffer that so that you developers don't have to suffer that. So preview four, that's all fixed. It's all good to go. Um, and as part of preview four, also, I mentioned we have templates for Blazor desktop, which also means we have a Blazor web view control. So this is what really makes that whole experience work, that you can bring your Blazor app directly into a MAUI application and all that C-sharp.net goodness is shared. There's really no boundary that you have to pierce or jump over or work around to get your web app talking to the native platforms. It's a very seamless experience. So it's really cool. And we have that demo uh, as well at build and all that code is going to be made available for the demo. So you can look forward to a nice, good looking Maui plus blazer app that you can download and explore. Um, Something else I wanted to update everybody on, we have been speaking with the Xamarin Community Toolkit maintainers about how and when we support .NET MAUI. I think I may have mentioned this previously, or maybe it was part of the Ask Me Anything uh, segment that we did. 
And uh, the first step is going to be a compatibility package based on top of the Xamarin Forms stuff. Um, and then beyond that, there will be a new repository with MAUI-specific things where they start porting the renderer work to handlers and all that sort of thing. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So most of that is is kind of in progress, in flight, and already happened. Uh, Preview 5, we have a whole new gallery app underway. We have tons of work in the handlers and controls. Um, and so we'll see kind of how Preview 5 shapes up. Next podcast, we'll give you a full dump on what you can expect to use there. Um, C-Sharp Hot Reload, XAML Hot Reload. Many of those experiences will work with Preview 4 as well to some degree. And they'll just get better and better with the with the new releases. So there is your .NET Maui update. Very cool. And like uh, preview four, you said it's not out yet. That's in the build time frame ish. Yes. Something exactly. like that. Exactly. Very cool. And you have some sessions at Build, is that correct? Or what's going on with Build? What you got? Yeah. So there are uh, essentially three sessions uh, for Build that cover .NET MAUI content and Blazor. So there's the uh, all up .NET update from Scott Hunter, where we have several demos that showcase all .NET MAUI hot reload Blazor things. Then we have an on-demand session which is a longer, deeper dive. Uh, so my, I don't know, four or five minute demo goes to 15 minutes and we go deeper into the architectural things. And then we have an experts panel um, where myself and Daniel Roth and Dimitri Lylan and others, I don't remember who all is on the panel, Scott Hunter will be there, um, are going to be live answering questions. So that, again, is a live session during build. So that'll be nice. Um, yeah, so we have those three main sessions. And then, you know, there will be t- tons of blogging and uh, smaller video-related content that we'll work on between now and then as well. Beautiful. It's a super exciting time. I know I've made some videos on the previews as they expand. And based on what I've seen from um, hopping into some of the build planning, I'm very exciting because I feel like a lot of these previews upcoming are just going to start to start to make the change for developers and be able to test a lot more with a lot of the features that you said were coming. And uh, it's exciting to to uh, continue on this journey. And I, I love the back compat story as well, because I know some of my apps, I'll, some of the easier ones, I may try to flip over some of the other ones. I may not. It just kind of depends. And, and I think that's a nice story for developers is that you get to pick and choose on your timeline and, and you know, the, the libraries that are out there today will continue to work and be maintained and, and things like that. And we'll move over too. Cause I think the Xamarin community toolkit has been uh, really awesome. I'll talk about some updates that I worked with uh, Shane uh, and uh, Rachel from the Xamarin forms and Maui team on. Uh, it's really cool to see a lot of stuff in there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, David, so much for the update. Super appreciate it. No problem. I will see you next month. All right. Well, we have a lot of exciting stuff with Build and Don and Maui, but there are new updates to Visual Studio out that you can enjoy today. What's going on in the world of Visual Studio, Matt? You know what? Visual Studio 16.10 Preview 2 has updated. And as one would expect with Visual Studio, it has a lot of tooling updates in it. And one of them that I really like here is that you can automatically insert call methods when scrolling through them. Now, what does that mean? When the t- IntelliSense pulls up, James, you know, so a lot of times you're calling a method has a bunch of overrides on it mm. and the IntelliSense pops up and a lot, you have to kind of goes through and see like, all right, we have three parameters in this method and this method has four parameters. The other one has five. And you're honestly, I have to squint 
to see all these, <laughs> you know, in there. Well, with the new the new one and what we have in there actually puts it right in the code editor for you. So it's bigger type and it puts like default methods in there as well. And you just tab and boom, there it is. And then you can go through and change things as as you would. So they're calling it insert call methods. And it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it makes your, I guess, your inner dev loop a little bit easier. And it actually makes it easier to see what the method signatures look like. And so, yeah, I really like it. You have to turn it on in the options of Visual Studio. So it's not enabled by default. But when you do, it's super nice to have. And another thing that I think is really cool is visual inheritance change. Change. Visual inheritance chains. So what this is, so a lot of times you're using a class that is inherited from another class that's inherited from a class before. So you have a bunch of these inheritance chains. And so this visual inheritance chains feature will allow you to visualize that. So over in the, what's that? I always forget, James. What's it on the left-hand side? Is that the gutter of Visual Studio? What are we calling that over there? I think the gutter, kind of like, yeah, like of your your house, if you have like a gutter where the water goes down. Yep. There you go. It's the downspout. It's the downspout of Visual Studio. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So over there is what you can see then is essentially a little pop-up that shows you, all right, class bar enables, enable or enables, inherits from class foo, which inherits from class, base class, and also in implements these interfaces as well. So you can see the full hierarchy of what's going on there. So you know what, essentially what you're dealing with. So that's pretty neat. And as well, there's some amongst like some C++ features and such. There's also some uh, new container features that if you're, if you're running some containers on your backend and so on. So a lot of tooling updates with VS 16.10 preview two. And, and another thing that's coming out, James is visual studio. 2022 which not it's not out yet and but it's coming probably in 2022 i would imagine since that's what we're naming it and the big thing here james is that it's going to be 64 bit Ooh, i like that yeah you know what that means is that you're not going to run out of memory anymore so i never ran out of memory with visual studio 16 but I imagine when you start having a lot of projects in there that you might and or you're doing a lot of debugging at the same time. But um, what happened is that they actually tested this thing with up to 1,600 projects and 300,000 files all open at the same time. Have you oh, wow. ever run <laughs> an app no. with that many? No. No. Me Too neither. Many. But you know, 64 bit and it worked just fine with that. So, I mean, you have a lot more memory available to you and uh, machines have just a ton of memory now. So, you're good to go there. Um, another cool thing that they have with uh, Visual Studio 2022 are better icons for readability. So the accessibility for it, it's improved. Um, a new default font for coding called Cascadia Code. Ooh. And the cool thing about that is that it's available now for downloading. And I'll put a link to the show in the show notes of where you can actually go and get it. So that's pretty neat. Um, so it's going to be a refreshed UI, a little better contrast on the icons. Things a little, look a little fresher, and they're a little bit easier for you to uh, see. So super cool there. And um, a little more features is that we have in there are some, um, like if you're developing an app for Azure, there is now like, I would call them like getting started repositories. So let's say you want to get started with this Azure feature. There's going to be a repository that you can go out there, and it's like a starter app 
for it, a starter app template. So you know kind of like the correct guidance. So it's like a pattern that you can use to use this Azure feature with it. And it's going to be highly opinionated. So it's kind of going to push you off in the right direction to do it. So that's that's kind of a nice way to go because Azure has so many features and it's kind of overwhelming of how do you use this? And there you go. Now you're now you're going to know because there's actually going to be a feature repo with it with the correct um, application. And uh, of course, it's going to have full support for .NET 6 and .NET MAUI, which it better, right? <laughs> and um, it's going to also support .NET Reload. And oh, this is super neat. It's going to have, when you're doing live share, you're going to be able to do some text chatting with it too. Oh, wow, so, nice. Yep, so if you're doing some debugging, um, you can be able to actually text chat right within it. And IntelliCode, the one thing that I'm going to rely on to write all my apps going forward, the AI for it keeps on getting better and better. So yeah, Visual Studio 2022, the next iteration. And so are we going to be calling that, is that going to be like Visual Studio 17 or is that Visual Studio 18.1? Do you know what the numbering for that is? Probably 17, I assume. I think think it just continues to increment every single time. Yeah. And uh, we'll see. I don't know what they'll do with Visual Studio for Mac, but Visual Studio for Mac is getting updates for Visual Studio 2022 for Mac. It's getting a complete overhaul of the user interface using 100% native Mac OS user interface that will come with better performance and reliability. There's been pieces and chunks that have been updated over time, um, but it's also going to just completely re-architect from the ground up. Um, there. Um, it's going to have built-in macOS accessibility features as well, which is kind of nice using those native uh, uh, UI elements. There's going to be new menu updates, terminology updates, so it's more consistent with the Windows version. And additionally, it is going to get a brand new Git experience from Visual Studio, which I'm very excited for because in Visual Studio 1610 on Windows, the you know Git update is the Git stuff has all been turned on. They've been making more updates to it. And I simply love it. All the Git productivity features, so those are all going to come over to Visual Studio for Mac and a whole lot more. And of course, we will figure out when this thing releases at some point. Who who knows? It's a mystery still. More information at some point in the future. Keeping people on the edge of their seat. Yes, exactly. Uh, But do not fear if you're looking for some updates over in the world of Xamarin. It's a pretty exciting time right now. Um, We have this uh, sort of unofficial, um, my my team does kind of unofficial themes where our team like focuses on stuff. And we've been focusing a lot on accessibility um, and highlighting some of the amazing work that you can do to make your apps more accessible. And actually, Rachel from the Don Maui team and Xamarin team wrote this amazing blog post called The Journey to Accessible Apps which is all about what, what is accessibility, why you should care about accessibility, what does accessibility look like, how do you approach making accessible applications, how you turn on screen readers and color contrast checkers, um, what does it mean um, to kind of have accessibility standards and guidelines for your company or for, for other places. Um, and what's nice about it is that she also highlighted all of the new accessibility features in .NET MAUI that are going to be coming. And she joined me on the Xamarin show to talk about everything. So demoing what you can do today, um, how you can start testing today, and additionally, what you can do in the future. And on top of that, 
what's been really cool is I collaborated with Shane from the Xamarin Forms and Dynamaui team and Rachel on a brand new Microsoft Learn module all about accessibility called Create Accessible Apps with Xamarin Forms, which is quite cool. And it will walk you through all about what accessibility is, what it means for mobile application development, um, how do you, what are screen readers, how do you enable screen readers, how do you leverage Xamarin Forms automation properties to make your apps more accessible, how do you um, order content um, in your application, and it's a really nice, you know, quick sort of walkthrough. And, and and you know, if you've never used a screen reader to test your app, it's totally worth it. And there's little tweaks that you can make here and there, and it walks you all through and you get a badge at the end, which is really cool. So definitely give that a look. And on top of that, um, one thing that Rachel was talking about in the video that is on YouTube and channel nine that we'll link to on the Xamarin show is she talked about um, some of the work that Shane had been experimenting with her on um, when it comes to some of the down in Maui work. And he has this repo that sort of added some new controls and some new effects and um, what's cool about it is that uh, I worked with Gerald and and um, and Rachel and Shane to get this into the Xamarin Community Toolkit. So this is really nice because the Xamarin Community Toolkit um, I actually made accessible because you couldn't use screen readers with it for some reason. Um, but we we totally updated it and got it working, which is cool. And then uh, we added in the a, a new semantic uh, order view and a semantic effect router, which means a, a few things. What it enables you to do is is get more granular control over what items are inside of the accessibility tree, if you will. So often the problem, so the problem here is that um, how the default Xamarin forms works is everything on the page defaults to like zero index as it goes through. And it kind of makes it hard to set indexes inside of like a stack layout or a grid. If you have multiple stack layouts, you kind of want to control the order inside of them uh, instead of in this larger view. So a semantic order view allows you to basically confine um, the ordering um, specifically inside of um, inside of a layout. So if you have multiple stack layouts, you wrap it in a semantic order view, and then you can define the order just for that stack layout instead of in for the entire page, which is nice. And then there is also something called the semantic effect with a heading level. And there's a few other things like a description and things like that that add more accessibility features. But the heading level is really important for um, Android, iOS, and also on Windows, where there's multiple heading levels that enable you to, again, give more priority um, to the operating system when it is doing screen readers and highlighting things on the screen um, as well. So there's lots of cool, cool things um, built right into this. So if you're looking to make your apps more accessible, give that a look. It's been merged in, and I think it's going to be released hopefully by the time this podcast is out. So it's in pre-release, at least right now. So in the pre-1 at NuGet that just released a few days ago. So give that a look. Um, it's really cool to learn more about accessibility. And I've been looking at my applications and running the things that I've been talking about and trying to make them more accessible. So it's, it's quite nice. Yeah, I love that. A lot of times accessibility is almost an afterthought, which it should not be. I mean, I'm, I'm always guilty of that too when I created a lot of apps. But um, yeah, everybody could use more accessibility whether you realize it or not. And 
actually last week, I believe it was, Microsoft ran their Ability Summit. And which talks a lot about accessibility in general. And I'll put a link to the YouTube page where they, where we have a lot of the sessions now online for it, where there's like accessibility 101 um, mm-hmm. stuff on it. So it's not necessarily related to mobile development, but it's accessibility in the general sense. And so a lot of interesting stuff up there. Totally. All right. So a little bit of cloud news, James. Um, So what's one thing that (laughs) shouldn't say it being in the cloud um, organization, Azure organization, but what's one thing that you really always want to do when you're using something in the cloud is that you want to reduce the costs. Oh, yes. Make it cheaper. Yes. Make it cheaper. Yes. Yep. That's one of the great things about the cloud. You can make it cheaper. Only use it when you want to. So um, on Azure Friday, recently Hanselman had somebody from the Azure Blob Storage team on where they actually talked about optimizing your costs with Blob Storage. And so not only did they talk about optimizing the costs, they went through what Azure Blob Storage all is. And so the quick answer is, well, you just put large binary files there, but it's a whole lot more than that too. And so, but what the meat of it was is that they get down into Blob Storage has a lot of different pricing tiers. And so it can be a little bit, um, I guess, overwhelming when you see all these pricing tiers. You're like, I'm just going to take the the standard one. You don't really click on premium ever because premium means high pricing. But a lot of times, though, premium can actually be cheaper than the standard tier depending on your workload. And so what they go through here is not only explaining what each tier gives you, but also optimizing when each tier might be cheaper depending on your use case. So it's a totally interesting um, video. It goes about 20 minutes, but, you know, it's, you know, I mean, depending on your capacity or how many transactions or whether you need redundancy even, it's totally worth it to take a view so you can um, optimize your costs when you're, when you're using Blob Storage. And Blob Storage actually, I mean, it underlies Azure. I mean, Azure itself uses Blob Storage. And a lot of our apps that we would write, I mean, the, the one that you always think about is getting images from somewhere that's all blob storage it's really a fundamental fundamental thing out there so yeah totally check it out it's super interesting very cool yeah i remember when i was setting up my blob storage i was really thinking about it because there's different hots and colds and this and that for like you know the the different what you're going to use it for so really based on your use case it's super important to like put a little bit of time consideration in there exactly and a lot of times you say well i'm just going to go with the standard one i'm going to go with the defaults because that must be the cheapest, but maybe it's not. So, and another thing that I wanted to talk about is recently um, I worked with Justin Yu on my team to create a new learn module talking about um, Azure API management and open API enabled web APIs, ASP.NET Core APIs, and deploying those from Visual Studio over to API management. So let's take a quick second to talk about what Azure API management is. It's um, essentially you can think of it as a portal over your existing web APIs. So let's say you deployed your web API to anywhere. It could be to Azure, it could be to like your on-prem hosting. So you have an API out there. And so what Azure API management does is that it um, puts this wrapper, like an admin console, over the top of it. So, I mean, if, you're, if your business like is API-centric or even if you're providing APIs either internally or externally, API management gives you like this um, um, like layer of management over the top of it. So you can like set up routes 
to the back ends when people need to access it or like rate limiting. So let's say you have a business like you're doing weather forecasts and like you can get the current days conditions or future conditions and you have a free layer. So you want to have rate limiting and usage quotas for the people who are not paying for it yet. You can set that up with Azure API management. So it gives you this management layer and you can do keys and logs and all that other good stuff. So that's what that is. So what this learn module does, it talks about how you can use Visual Studio to one, make your web API, open API enabled using a Swagger tooling set, and then use Visual Studio to deploy it to API management, all within Visual Studio. So you're not switching all around and using a bunch of different tools. Visual Studio handles it all. So yeah, super neat. Becomes actually super easy once you know about it and really cool. API management might be one of my favorite favorite things ever now that I know about it. So once you know, then you can yep. do anything. <laughs> For sure. And um, James, I know you've probably been involved with it, but uh, if you haven't, do you know about the C-sharp language highlight videos that we've been doing lately? Oh, yeah. I'm super big fan of these. Uh, in fact, I remember uh, Cecil and Kendra and I think Myra and Jamie put out a few of these a few years ago. And um, I had reached out about actually doing my own series before I found these. And I think Golnaz from Channel 9 and Learn TV, she was telling me like, oh, these these already exist. I was like, what? And I got with uh, Cecil and uh, Kendra and Jamie and Myra and came up with this plan of just creating tons of C-sharp language highlight features, short videos, two to three minutes, talking about how all the awesome features of C-sharp work. And there's like a bunch of them out now, correct, Matt? Yeah, there's way more than I thought. There's at least, I think, I'm going to say eight out. And we have more than eight recorded. We're just kind of rolling Mm -hmm. them out um, one at a time. But I think there's at least eight of them out there right now. There might be more, but... Yeah. And what I like about them is being, I'm going to say it, an old person working with C Sharp, a lot of times I don't use the latest and greatest features. I stick to what I know. It works. I stick to it. And what these videos do, they're, they're short. They're like underneath five minutes is that they talk about, you know, some of a lot of the newer features like uh, default interface methods or pattern matching with t- tuples or, or properties. And so it's neat that you learn about it five minutes and then you can use it. And so it's, you can't, you don't know what you don't know until you know. And that's what these videos are great about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. There's about how many more coming? Uh, I think you're right. I think there's another like 20 or 30 coming. I think the plan was to try to get a year's worth so we could release one every single week um, and keep keep the fun coming, which is cool. And in fact, you know, if you're looking for more C-sharp stuff, uh, that team actually just launched a brand new C Sharp web page on the Donut website. You can go to C Sharp Dev, C Sharp dot Dev, C Sharp, like C, the letter C, S H A R P dot Dev. That will bring you to the new C Sharp page where you can learn all about C Sharp. You can learn things and try things in the browser and then head over to Microsoft Learn where there are dozens upon dozens of C Sharp tutorials and modules that you can do everything in the browser um, completely for all your learning and everything like that. Or you can watch videos and do all these different things like that. So definitely give it a look. That was a pretty awesome um, thing that came out. If you're looking to do more on top of that, you can actually go and check out the let's learn.net series. 
Um, we just recently did that. Uh, Jamie from my team runs that. These are two hour events that happen once a month, usually around the end of the month. They're available on Channel 9 and on YouTube as well. There's one on web API. So if we're talking about the API management stuff like you were talking about earlier. There's one on microservices. And then last month was on C Sharp, this month on accessibility. Um, so give those a look. They're live, like walking through, um, you know, targeting brand new developers. So if you have, you know, team members or yourself are just getting into C Sharp, give those a look. Or you're interested in microservices or web API accessibility, give it a look. It's really cool. Or join us live. Head over to that that page and you can find all information for it. It's down in the show notes. So much fun stuff, Matt. Yeah. And actually talking about things that you might not know about till you know about it, um, like try dot 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 net. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that lets you run C sharp in a browser and uh, you can actually just go to the website itself and mess around with C sharp without having to move up visual studio or anything. So it's actually kind of a, I would say it's like a REPL in, in the browser, uh, mm-hmm. read totally. all you late print engine. Yeah. So, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. So that brings us to the Azure service of the month and it's not going to be Azure API management. I'm mm-hmm. actually going to expand my horizons and not talk about something we already talked about, but it is kind of similar to in the idea that it's a service that spans other services. It's like a management service and it's um, Azure IOT central. And so this is the, I really am proud of myself with the example that we have here, but what, what is Azure IOT central? It's, um, it's like an easy monitoring and a management of remote devices. Like, iot devices so it brings together several um azure iot services together underneath one one hood or one roof and so you like iot hub or um azure maps even or azure iot edge and um time series azure iot time series insights so it gives you a little insights on what's going on so you have all these various iot centric azure services this brings them into one spot so you can monitor and manage them all together. Okay, so it's kind of like Azure API management in that respect, in that now you have everything in one spot. Mm. All right, now, kind of seems weird, but here comes the example that kind of helps bring it all together. Imagine, James, that you have a fleet of ice cream trucks. Okay. Not so far-fetched. I mean, I know you're kind of getting into the ice cream business. Mm -hmm. So you have a fleet of them. These are all essentially IoT um, you have a little IoT device on there, so you can see where they are on the map. You're the you're the ice cream manager, and so you want to make sure they can get to the customers on time to deliver the ice cream. But what happens if a truck fails? It runs out of gas, gets a flat tire. You either want to be able to get it to the nearest customer, perhaps, or have another truck come and pick up the contents to bring it to the nearest customer, or just say, you know what, I'm going to just open it up for the public to come and get free ice cream, maybe. This IoT Central helps you do that. It helps you make you know like real time decisions based on where it is, based on where all your customers or whatever happen to be, and so it's like this real time management service. So it's like <laughs> it's like the central IoT thing. And uh, what else is cool about it? They do have a bunch of uh, templates for getting started in uh, different vertical industries like retail, so you can manage like a distribution center or something, um, energy, um, so like smart meters. And even we are working on a Xamarin component for it, which is why I wanted to bring it all up, is that right now we're working on some Xamarin goodness for it, which you'll be able to download on GitHub. We're putting the final touches on it now, so probably build time it will be out there. Xamarin 
for IoT Central. It's coming. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Lots of IoT goodness uh, that I've talked about in the past. I'm excited to see that come to life. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the podcast, which is our pick of the pod. I'll kick it off since you've been doing all the talking. Um, I'm going to pick our good friend, Frank Kruger, who I podcast with over at Merge Conflict, um, SQLite-net. I recently did a video just talking about databases and you know offline caching and things like that. And a lot of the core architecture of a lot of these things are based off of SQLite raw, which is the underlying um, C++ library stuff that has all the bindings. And then SQLite-net is just the most easiest um, object relational mapper and ORM um, for the database. So if you're looking to have a relational database and set up keys and set up rows and columns, um, it gets it done. Uh, there's a backing store that I have for Monkey Cache, which is my caching library. Um, a lot of other people use SQLite-net for a bunch of stuff. If you're just looking to pull down some data, store it offline, get it inside of a SQL database, you can put in SQLite-net. It's super simple. There's a synchronous and asynchronous version of it. And uh, yeah, SQLite-net, I don't know. I've, just been, I've been using it for last eight, nine years. So it's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. So. It's been, I mean, that's one of the first blog posts I ever written on was uh, SQLite.net. And it's, yeah, it's super easy. It's been, it's the venerable SQLite.net. It works. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I ever used it. I couldn't believe how easy it was. It's like, yeah. what am I doing wrong? It's <laughs> why is this working without <laughs> having to do anything special to it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. You remember, you remember using it before NuGet came out where you had actually had to copy all the code into it? Like, Oh, yeah. You just copy yeah. and paste the whole file. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my pick of the pod is ZXing or ZXing. And that's from our friend John Dick, or as we like to call him, Red. Is that how you pronounce it? Red. 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 Yes. I call, yeah. this, I call this library Zebra Crossing. Zebra Crossing. Yeah, that's the full name for it. And um, so what, what this does, as in Zebra Crossing, is that it lets you, zebras, have stripes, when all says stripes, barcodes, even QR codes. And uh, lets you to, from a Xamarin app scan them and get what they mean underneath. So you know if it has like a bunch of numbers or even in the QR code, um, like a website in there, you can even have a bunch more information in there for QR codes. Mm. But super easy. You put it into your Xamarin app. It loads up the camera for you, and even with Xamarin Forms with a full on view, like the entire app is taken over by the camera. It even has an overlay, which you know has like a little line in the middle, so the, the user knows where exactly to aim. Mm. And boom, it is super quick. Gets all the information off the off the uh, barcode or QR code or whatever you happen to be using. Identifies what it's scanned, whether it's a barcode. I had no idea. There's a bunch of different barcode types. Oh yeah, Zebra Crossing knew it was. Brings that in, brings, you know, what it says, and yeah, really neat, very handy. I use it in building the Azure IoT Central app because we're going to have a QR code so you can just download it. And yeah, really neat. Love it. Just works. Nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, I always love all sorts of libraries like this, and I've been using that for quite a long time. There's there's a lot of optimizations and things like that built into it. So yeah, definitely give it a look if you're looking to scan some barcodes. Um, but I think it's going to do it for this week's Xamarin podcast. Thanks, David, for being on, giving us the Don and Maui update. Hope everyone has a great Microsoft build. It's free. You can just go register. We'll put a link in the show notes. Go. It's all the stuff's free. Catch it all live or on demand. Up to you. All sorts of good stuff. Matt, thanks so much for hanging out with me. Hope you have an absolutely amazing day and an awesome build. And we'll be back next month for your Xamarin podcast. 